It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome into another episode of THN on the O. As always, I'm your host, Tony Ferrari. With me every week, as always, is Brock Otten. How are you doing this week, Brock? Good, Tony. Excited for the OHL playoffs. Yeah, it's a fun time of year. The regular season's over, all said and done, and standings are finalized. So we'll see up the matchups. I'm going to preview those matchups coming up. But first, let's get into the three stars of the week. And this week, we decided to go a little bit different route. So what are we doing? Yeah, so we looked at our entire season of our podcast. And we've been doing the three stars of the week every single week. So we're looking at the guys who have appeared the most on our three stars of the week. All right, so number one, which was a little bit surprising to me when I initially saw it, but then thinking about it made complete sense. Brant Clark with four appearances on the three stars of the week, oftentimes the first star as well. So it kind of fits that he's the first star this week. Yeah, I mean, what a monster half a year, right? One of the best seasons ever. I mean, yeah, okay, it was a half a season, but we're talking about somebody who was just shy of – Two points per game. It's only been done once in, in the history of, of the OHL and Brian Fogarty. And Clark is number two uh, all time points per game, right? So what what a year. And I'm, I guess it's not all that shocking that in a half a season, he managed to still have the most appearances on our three stars of the week. Yeah, I saw a stat today on Twitter that he had 23 goals in just over 30 games this year. And that's unreal for a defenseman. I think there's a lot of forwards in the OHL that would be pretty happy with that season. Clark doing it in half a season, it, it was unbelievable to watch him come back to the OHL and prove that he uh, he deserved to be a little bit higher, maybe up in the NHL this year like he was in the first half. Moving on to our second star, the guy that led the league in scoring this year, Matt Maggio of the Windsor Spitfires, had three appearances on the list. What did you think of his season and kind of where are you thinking about him? Yeah, I mean... I guess it's not all that shocking that the leading <laughs> scorer in the OHL was one of the guys that appeared the most on our three stars. If anything, maybe I thought he'd be on a few more times than he was. I think it maybe just speaks to his consistency that he was just consistently one of those guys that was, you know, five, six, seven points every week. Didn't have any like absolutely monster weeks, but just was a, a model of consistency for the Spitfires this year and on a team that, is poised for a very long playoff run, in my opinion. And I mean, I think ultimately when we look at these two guys, I would say we're probably looking at the top two Red Tailson contenders. And I know Brant Clark only played half a year, but this award is the most outstanding player in the league. It's not necessarily the MVP. It's the most outstanding player. And I think when you look at the two best players in the OHL this year, I think Brant Clark probably needs to be in the discussion. And I guess ultimately what you and I are going to have to ask ourselves and what voters are going to have to ask our, ask themselves, which includes you and I, is, is Brant Clark worthy of winning the Red Tilson this year despite him only playing half a year? That's the really big question, right? Because we look at this award and you, we kind of look at it like an MVP, but it's not. It's the most outstanding player. Like you mentioned, Matt Maggio's done it from start to finish this year. 
you want to give him that recognition for the longevity. Like you said, the consistency that in which he's done has been absolutely fantastic. But what Brand Clark's done was really, really special. And I think that's what you have to look at with Clark's season. He came in halfway through the year, completely changed the way that team played, and really was just a catalyst at both ends of the ice. We talked a couple of weeks ago about who was the best defensive defenseman in the OHL when we were kind of going over some of the, the awards and sections for the coaches poll. And my argument, which was kind of flawed, I'll, I'll give it that, was that Brent Clark deserved recognition there because he doesn't have to play defense. He's constantly got the puck on his stick, pushing play up ice and doing so many things. He truly was just a catalyst in this, in this league this year. Yeah. And I mean, Barry could make it really easy on us if they end up, putting forth like Evan Veerling or something for the Red Tilson instead of Clark because he's played an entire year. But I, I would be shocked if their candidate um, isn't Clark. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, each team decides their candidate for the Red Tilson for guys like Tony and Tony and I to vote on. Right. So um, each team only gets one that they can put forward. I would be again, shocked if it's not Clark for Barry, even though Veerling has had a great year too. Uh, obviously I would say it's going to be Matt Maggio for Windsor, even though they've got, uh, you know, a really good team and some really good players, but it's going to be Maggio there. Uh, who would you say is maybe like the number three or number four guys uh, in terms of Tilson for you right now? That's a really interesting question because I think Colby Barlow is going to get some love. I think people are going to really latch onto the fact that he is so much younger than a lot of the other guys that are going to get this, the recognition for the Red Tilson. He had 46 goals. He didn't play the last few games of the regular season because of an injury after blocking the shot. But he's a guy that I kind of have my eye on. What about you? Yeah, I would say Pavel Minchikov. I, I know another defenseman. Um, Ottawa is going to have uh, quite the choice in terms mm -hmm. of who they put forward for Red Tilson. And maybe they don't put Minchikov forward because he's only been on the team sort of a half a year compared to some other guys. But uh he also has kind of slowed down a little bit in Ottawa, playing kind of a little bit more of a reined-in role compared to Saginaw, a team that has a little less structure to their game. I would probably say that those would be my top three. So Maggio, Clark, Minchikov, uh, just right now anyway, that's sort of where I'm leaning towards. As to who I'm leaning towards at number one, I really have to give this more thought. Um, I think you made a great argument for Clark, and I think that there is a real argument there. And, but at the same time, you have to look at what Maggio has done for a winter Spitfires team that a few people kind of expected to take a bit of a step back this year, myself included, you know, after that really strong run last year, they graduated some players um, and they haven't really missed the beat. If anything, they've been much better this year compared to last year. And I think even though it's not an MVP award, I think you have to look at, Maggio being possibly the best player in the league because of what he's done for that Spitfires team too. Yeah, I agree with you. It's certainly going to be something that we're going to have to sit back and think about. I'm sure we'll text and DM about it and have our own little debates on the side, but we've completely ignored the third star of, the, <laughs> of this segment. And it's two guys who also tied with three appearances. We gave Maggio the lean because of the season he had, but Evan Beerling, who we just touched on and Tristan Lennox, the Saginaw goaltender also had three appearances on three stars. Let's start with Veerling. What was kind of your your perception of his season, a guy that was really trying to get an NHL contract? Yeah, I, I think he really took off after Clark returned. And I think that could be said for most of Barry. Uh, Bo Gelsma was fantastic after Clark came back. Um, that, that whole team just found a new level. And 
part of it is the way that Clark moves the puck. Like you said, it's, it's just constantly up tempo. It's constantly in your face offense for the Colts. Right. And they've got a lot of high scoring games in the second half because of having Brent Clark on their roster. And that's going to equate to more production for guys like Evan Beardley. And I think he's done enough to, to earn an NHL contract at the very least an AHL deal. I'd be shocked if he doesn't get one of those. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm not shocked. I remember we've talked about him quite a, quite a bit as for Tristan Lennox. I think it kind of goes to maybe some consistency issues this year. Like I'm kind of shocked that he appeared that many times, but you know, looking back and thinking back to how his season's gone, he's had some really good weeks that you and I have talked about where, you know, he's come in and, and starred for the spirit against some, you know, in some big wins against teams like London and Saginaw or not Saginaw, he's on Saginaw, like London and Windsor, <laughs> right? Like some of the powerhouses of that conference. And I mean, maybe he's had a better year than people are giving him credit for. Yeah. To echo your thoughts on Lennox, he really was kind of the shock for me. I saw him, his name up there and I was like, wait, really? And then I'm going back and I'm looking and I'm thinking about it. And yeah, he had weeks where he'd have three games, three wins, allow two goals in the week. And he'd have these big weeks. I think out of all the guys that were kind of on this list, even going down to some of the, the honorable mentions, Dom DiVincentis, Marco Constantini, Denis Gore, Sasha Pashajov, Tristan Lennox might be the most inconsistent and wild kind of up and down season of any of these guys. And that kind of makes sense with him being a goalie. I think there are a lot of times where goalies – they'll have a great week where they're three and oh two goals against in the week. And then the next week they allow four goals in every game. And it's just kind of the, the reality of being an NHL goaltender or an OHL goaltender playing in a league like this, where the scores can fluctuate. You can have a nine, eight game and it's not really that much to bad an eye at, but it was certainly interesting to see him there. And like you said, Evan Veerling has done enough to earn at least a pro contract, whether it's NHL or AHL, it's going to be interesting. But I think by the time the playoffs wrap up and everything, we're going to see his name on a contract. Yeah, I agree. And I think going back to Lennox too, maybe it speaks to Saginaw's sort of younger roster construction, right? This is a younger team. They moved out Minchikov, um, allowing guys like Perek to get more ice time. There's going to be waves. There's going to be up and downs uh, across a year for a team that is on the younger side, right? And I think that obviously probably plays a little bit into Lennox's inconsistency this year. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. So before we get to the OHL playoffs, Fully, let's kind of talk about draft prospects and who has the most to gain and lose from the OHL playoffs with their performance there. So let's start off with yourself. Who do you think has the most to gain among NHL draft prospects for this year's draft based on their performance, whether they have a big performance or not in the OHL playoffs? Yeah, kind of two guys came to mind for me um, and for opposite reasons, actually. The first is Colson Petrie and Flint. I think Flint has been one of the better teams in the second half. Uh, Petrie's been really good all year. And the one thing that we keep talking about with Colson Petrie is he's built for the playoffs, right? So this is a, this is a kind of player that NHL teams are going to be looking at as somebody that is a tenor Janot type, somebody that somebody down the line is going to pay a King's ransom for at the deadline to add to their team, to help them make a deep push in the playoffs. But First, that's got to happen at the OHL level, right? And he's got a good opportunity. Uh, Saginaw and Flint play the first round. I think that's something, I mean, we're going to talk about it in a second, but I do think that's a matchup that Flint can win. And I think it's something that could allow Flint to have some momentum going into the second round as well if they make it there. And I think that really gives Petrie a chance to showcase 
what he can do in the postseason with his physicality. And on the flip side, you look at a guy like Luca Pinelli, who I think needs to prove to scouts that he can win those battles in the middle of the ice when things get just that little bit tougher, right? And that's what's going to happen in these OHL playoffs. Being an undersized guy who's not necessarily the most athletic, if he can have a really good OHL playoffs for Ottawa and, and help them push deep, I think that's really going to help him gain maybe even a, as much as a round in terms of his actual draft slot. Um, and I think that that makes him somebody who has a lot to gain from a strong performance. Yeah, I agree with you on both those guys. Petrie's built for the playoffs. It's going to be really interesting to see what he does. And that's kind of why I chose the guy I chose, which is Quentin Musty. I think big a big thing we all talked about early in the year was he has the size, he has the strength. We don't always see him kind of engage physically and get that that power into his game and really bring that that tough and rough and tumble hockey that you want to see in the playoffs. Is he going to be able to do that? He started doing it more throughout the year as his season improved. When I talked to him earlier this year, he, he mentioned that he had mono earlier this year, which kind of held up his season a little bit for, uh, up until about Christmas. But we talked about many times about him improving throughout the year. So I think seeing if he can continue that physicality that he's brought towards the end of the preseason or end of the regular season into the playoffs, that's going to be really important. And then I, I just hope he's able to kind of continue producing because this playoffs could end up being the difference between him being a top 15 guy or maybe just a guy that's on the fringe of the first round. Yeah, I agree. I think that's also a really good pick. All right, now let's get to the guy that you think has the, maybe the most to lose from his playoff performance this year. Yeah, this is a tough one. I, the one that really came to mind for me was Cam Allen in Guelph. Uh, it's kind of been a tough year for him, but I, I think he has been better, at least defensively, in the second half of the year. And Guelph has played actually quite well in the second half after what we thought was was a rebuild or a retool, right? But the reality is that it's kind of helped free up some ice time for some other guys. And uh, they've played really well, guys like Braden Bowman and, and Max Domestikoff, who they brought in. Um, they're, they have a very tough matchup. Guelph is playing Sarnia, who has probably been the best team in the second half of the OHL. They've been an unstoppable force. That is a very tough matchup for them. So I think Allen just needs to sort of hang on. But if he has a really bad first round and Guelph loses in four straight, I don't know if that's going to be great for his draft stock. Even though if he's had a bit of a better second half, um, I mean, the good thing is if that happens, he's probably going to the U18s and he's probably going to have an opportunity to, to boost his stock from that. But will it leave a sour taste in the mouths of scouts? Uh, I think there's a chance. Yeah, I agree with you there. Cam Allen's been a really difficult evaluation this year just because he has been so just underwhelming for what we all expected, I think. And we saw him at the Helenka. He had a really good tournament there. And maybe we'll see him at the under-18s. It's going to be interesting, though, because I, I don't know what to kind of gauge his game at right now. And the playoffs are certainly going to be an opportunity to kind of get a, a feel for what he's going to do. The guy that I have, though, is, is Colby Barlow, the guy that's – rated as the top OHL prospect on a lot of boards right now. <clears throat> he didn't kind of finish off the regular season because of an injury, blocked a shot in Flint, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a couple weeks ago. So he didn't have that chance to get to 50 goals, but does he have the opportunity to kind of build on his draft stock? I think that we've seen him have such a good year. If he goes in that first round series against Flint, in, or sorry, not against Flint, sorry, um, against London, 
and isn't able to keep up. And we know London's a perennial powerhouse that we know London's a, a team that is absolutely loaded all the time in the playoffs. Is he going to be able to kind of figure it out? Is he going to be able to build off of what he's done this regular season? Or is he going to fizzle out because the game does get a little bit tougher and he is a physically built player, but is he a player that is going to be able to kind of do it at the playoffs as the captain of the Owen sound attack? It's certainly going to be interesting because I think that's the guy that could possibly do it. Yeah, that's a really good choice. And I think you raised a really good point, Tony. If, if he goes in there in that first round, Owen sound gets swept and he puts up a goose egg in four games. I think, Scouts might take a second look and say, like, I thought this was a guy that would be built for performing well in the playoffs. And, you know, he threw up a goose egg, had three shots over four games, and really wasn't much of a difference maker when Owen Sound needed him most. At the same time, is that fair uh, to ask of a draft prospect playing against some of the best 19 and 20-year-olds in Ontario? Probably not, but the reality is it is a measuring stick, and it's just another thing that, scouts are going to use to help separate the cream of the crop uh, when it comes to the draft. And Colby Barlow is a guy who I think does have a very real chance of going in the top 10. I think there are, there are a lot of qualities to his game that scouts really like, and we've talked about this at length, but maybe if there's a tie with another guy in that range, NHL scouts might look to that performance in the first round against London and say, Hmm, yeah, okay, I think we like this guy just that little tiny bit better, right? And that can be the difference maker for some of these prospects. I know for a fact from talking to scouts, and I know um, you feel the same way, Tony, is the playoffs uh, are important when it comes to the evaluation of these players. Yeah, and that's the thing is we, we give Colby Barlow a ton of credit for being the captain of the Owen Sound attack. We talked with the maturity he has, the, the physicality that he plays with, and how he is built for the playoff hockey. When you're the captain, when you have all these these other gifts, the physical gifts, you have that higher expectation. So when you're not able to deliver in that moment, questions can arise. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him is can he answer those questions? I think he ultimately will. But I think if he doesn't, he could be the guy with the most most to lose. Yeah. And just to add on that, like an interesting sort of anecdote is I, I always think back to among this, this sort of discussion. Right? I always think back to Brent Burns's draft year. And he was somebody who kind of was up and down. Ice time kind of fluctuated with the Brampton Battalion, now obviously the North Bay Battalion, but playing in Brampton. And then the OHL playoffs came along, and he was absolutely dominant in the playoffs. And that took him from a guy prior to the playoffs, who I think was more in that like sort of third to fourth round range, and pushed him up into that first round. And I remember, you know, when – Minnesota drafted him it was kind of like a lot was mentioned on that first round performance and just how dominant uh, he was and how he flashed those athletic tools that have ultimately made him an NHL player and a, and a good one at that yeah I agree with you so it's going to be interesting to see what all of the NHL draft eligibles are able to do in the playoffs this year but let's get to the series we can break down the series take a couple minutes on each of the eight series in the OHL Let's start in the Eastern Conference, though. The number one seed Ottawa Senator or Ottawa Senators, Ottawa 67s. Maybe one day they'll be their Senators fans. Who knows? But uh, the number one seed Ottawa 67s taking on the Oshawa Generals, a team that's kind of been up and down. They had to fight their way to get into the playoffs at the, at the end of the season. Oshawa, our Ottawa was one of the most dominant teams, especially early in the season. This kind of seems like a one-sided series. What's kind of your initial take? 
Yeah, I mean, much respect to Oshawa for fighting with Kingston to get into the playoffs. <laughs> um, and it's really good for their younger roster. It's going to be really good for guys like Kyle Ritchie and uh, Beckett Seneca to Seneca to to get that experience in the playoffs. But I, I don't think this one's going to be a, a long one. I think Ottawa's just just too strong of a powerhouse the way that they're built. And I'd be shocked if this one's not over in four or five. Yeah, I think that's the thing with this series. You look at it and you go, this is a very overmatched Oshawa team. But we talked about guys that could kind of boost draft stock, boost their, their prospect stock in general a few minutes ago. Could this be the coming out party for Cal Ritchie? Could this be kind of the moment where he's able to help Oshawa push it to six games? They're not going to win it, but that performance by him or a performance by a couple other guys on this team, could that be a big thing? And could that kind of put Ottawa on their heels, even just for a, a moment? A moment. It, it's going to be interesting. At the end of the day, I kind of think it's going to be over quick. Let's get your pick. This was, since there's not much to really discuss about this, this uh, series, how many games do you think it's going to be? And I think we're both going to agree it's going to be Ottawa that takes it. Yeah, I'm going Ottawa on four. I, I, I don't know if Cal Ritchie's even healthy. He just returned from that upper bat body injury that was apparently possibly going to even keep him out of the U18. So I don't know um, how healthy he is. Um, and I think Ottawa is just going to come out guns and blazing. I think this one's over in four. Yeah, I, I never like predicting a sweep because it's it's so hard to win four hockey games in a row. But I, I, I got to predict a sweep here for Ottawa and four because it's uh, probably the most overmatched series of any of them, I think, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to the number two North Bay Battalion taking on number seven Mississauga Steelheads. The Steelheads, a team is a is certainly an interesting group, a young group, a, a team that's traded a lot of their best players, taking on a North Bay team that's just been dominant from start to finish this year. Yeah, I mean, Mississauga has had its ups and downs in the second half. They were really strong after the deadline for a little bit there with some new life sort of injected into that team and, and some of the younger guys really excelling with more ice time. But they're kind of limping into the playoffs uh, a little bit. They haven't played well the last month or so, really. Um, and, uh, again, I, I think this one's going to be over pretty quickly. I think North Bay is a very battle-tested team. I think they're a team that is built for success in the playoffs. They also happen to have possibly the best goaltender in the OHL, and that really helps in the playoffs too. So I, I think this one's going to be North Bay in five. That's my prediction. Yeah, I'll agree with you on North Bay in five. I think Don DiVincenzo is going to be the X factor, like you mentioned. The fact that they have they have guys at every level that can be difference makers, I think, with North Bay. I think Josh Bloom's going to be a guy that – really comes out and has a, a big playoff because he's built for this. This is, this is the time for him to shine. Ty Nelson's going to have a big playoff. I think it's going to be really fun to watch North Bay. North Bay in five is my guess as well. Do you think there's any chance that Mississauga pushes this to seven or, or maybe pulls off an upset? I mean, you never say never. <laughs> uh, Mississauga does have some decent veteran players, right? Like James Hardy is somebody that's going to be highly motivated to have a strong playoffs to help him earn a contract, whether it's an NHL or an AHL deal, a professional contract in some regard. So there's going to be a lot of motivation there from him. Um, so the younger guys in that roster really have nothing to lose. Luke Misa, Porter Martone, uh, Jack Van Volsen, Marker Van Richter, all these guys who have been stepped up to play large roles in the second half, they have nothing to lose, right? They're going to come in e free and easy and try to push North Bay the best that they can. And that can be dangerous sometimes, but we're talking about a seven-game series here. We're not talking about uh, March Madness and a one-game take 
all scenario. I just I can't really see it. I mean, if Mississauga maybe had really good goaltending, uh, I would feel different. But that's sort of been an inconsistent mark for them too this year. Beglieri or uh, even a 16 slash 17 year old rookie and and Leanders. So um, yeah, I, I would put that at like a one percent. What about you, Tony? Yeah, I don't think it's very high either. I, I figured I'd ask the question because it it has been a frisky Mississauga team at times, but it's also a team that's been stripped of maybe the three or four best players outside of James Hardy this year. So it's, it's going to be a tough test for them. Let's move on to my, maybe my favorite series in the entire Eastern conference, the number three, Barry Colt taking on the number six Hamilton Bulldogs. This is going to be a series that I think is going to be so much fun to watch. I do think Barry's obviously got the favorite, especially with Brant Clark and all the, all the talent they have on that back end there, as well as the forward group, the headline, Evan Beerling, who we talked about earlier, but Hamilton's been frisky. They've been a feisty team. A lot of the games I've watched them recently, even in the losses, they've been a team really putting up a fight. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of disappointed we didn't get that Hamilton-Peterborough first round <laughs> that I was really, really excited for. It was looking like that's what it was going to be for, for a long time, but then photo finish uh, on the last day there, as Sudbury pulled off a win. Um, I just felt, I mean, that series had a ton of different storylines that would have been interesting yeah. to follow um, but yeah this series is going to be great uh, season series is actually 2-2 including some some a late victory by Hamilton I think it's going to be a very high scoring series I think we're going to see a lot of like 7-5 6-4 you know 5-4 games at the end of the day I do like Barry's experience just that little bit more um, I think Brant Clark is obviously the difference maker here he's somebody that I think can really push Barry over the edge, even if it's that overtime goal that the team needs or, um, you know, being on the ice to protect a lead in the last minute, just having that experience of the world juniors and the NHL. I mean, this is what, this is why LA sent him back to the OHL, right? Is, is the gain, the experiences like this. And as much as I think that Hamilton can push Barry, um, and give them a bit of a scare. I'm going to take uh, Barry in six. Yeah, it, it's a fun series. I think Nick Lardis is going to have a coming out party. Like you said, that Hamilton-Peterborough series could have been really fun to kind of see the two teams that made a huge trade go up against each other. But at the end of the day, maybe that happens in the second round. I don't know if it will because I also have Barry in six. I think it's going to be really fun to see. I think Hamilton could push this to seven. I think if there's any series in this, this Eastern Conference that goes seven games, this might be it. I think, man, that Hamilton team's been feisty. They've got a lot of talent on that team. I don't know if they can pull off a lot, but I, I do. I will say this. My, my weird hot, hot take prediction for this series is Hamilton goes up a game or two games to one and, and kind of puts a scare in Barry before Barry ultimately takes over and wins it. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. I could definitely see Hamilton – even taking that first game in like a weird sort of not blowout, but like a like a seven three, yeah, you know, wild one, and then it kind of makes Barry sort of reevaluate what they're doing, and that's where that experience is really going to come in. That's where you you know you've got guys like Clark and you've got guys like um, Evan Beerling, and that'll help that to Eric Connor Punnett. There's another one right on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of veteran players on that roster, and that's. I think that that makes a big difference in the playoffs, especially in the opening round. 
All right, now moving on to the final series of the Eastern Conference, number four, Peterborough, taking on number five, Sudbury. This is going to be a really interesting series because I think it's probably maybe the most evenly matched of the, of the group. Yeah, I mean, on paper, it's definitely not. On paper, the Peterborough Peach should not even be the fourth seed, right? But wow. we're, we're looking at this as a team that has the potential to really just turn it on. Like, what has been Peterborough's issue this year in terms of their inconsistency, right? And can they fix that in the playoffs? Sudbury won this season series 3-1. I don't think this was the team that Peterborough wanted to end up facing in, in round one. They've had trouble with the Wolves this year, and they've had trouble containing that first line. Uh, you talked about Musty earlier, and that line has, has given them fits this year. And depth-wise, it's Peterborough all the way. Uh, they just are able to roll more quality lines than Sudbury can. But if Peterborough can't stay out of the box, which has been a problem all year, and Sudbury spending a lot of time on the power play with that lethal first unit, that's going to be a problem for them. At the end of the day, I still like Peterborough. I, I do think Peterborough is going to take this in six. I think that their goaltending is just that little bit more stable. I think that Peterborough's veteran players like Offman, like Avery Hayes, um, like Tucker Robertson, I think that they will find that next level. Uh, but similar to like what you said with the Barry Hamilton series, I could see Sudbury even getting out to like a 2 nothing lead. Something crazy like that where they take the first two games at home from Peterborough and it gets everybody up in a, up in a panic um, because Peterborough has a lot riding on this season with the way that they sort of went all in, right? And I think this one is going to be very, very, very interesting. I think this one's going to be really interesting because, like you said, on paper, it should be Peterborough easy. It should be Peterborough running away with this series. Like you said, they should be a team that's up in the top two seeds probably in reality when you look at this talent that they acquired throughout the season, the, the depth of this team. But at the end of the day, I think the Sudbury Wolves have this one, and I think this is the first series we're going to disagree on. I have Sudbury in six. I think they're going to be a team that fights through and, and battles through. I think David Goyette's going to have a big, big – kind of impact on this series they've got a ton of guys nick degrazi has been outstanding this year quentin musty as i've mentioned they've got a lot of guys that can kind of just step up and evan Conyon could be a guy that i think has a big playoffs it's going to be interesting because this sudbury team is really good i think they've overachieved a little bit this season and that that peterborough team like you mentioned they could come on they could turn it on and then become this team that we've all thought they were going to be this year I feel like we've said that so many times on the podcast. I feel like we've said that in discussions before. What, can I trust them to do it? I don't I don't think right now is going to be that time I do. So I have the Sudbury Wolves going going on to the next round in six. And, I mean, if that happens, uh, I feel bad for the people in Peterborough too because I think a quick first-round exit is going to mean an exit for a lot of people within that organization as well, um, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting because they truly did go all in. They pushed the chips in. They got a lot of guys throughout this season, like you mentioned, Avery Hayes, Brennan Othman. They they wanted to be this, that team up near the top of the conference. At the end of the day, they finished fourth. They have to face a team that they didn't have all that, that much fun against this year. So it's going to be interesting. So quickly to go over the picks we had for this this Eastern Conference. We both had Ottawa over Oshawa in, in four. North Bay over Mississauga in five. Barry Colts we had in six over Hamilton. 
Peterborough versus Sudbury was the one series we disagreed on. I had Sudbury in six. You had Osh- or Peterborough in six. What do you think in kind of who's going to come out of the Eastern Conference? I'll, I'll ask you that. Uh, I still think it's North Bay. I think that at the end of the day, you've got the best goaltender in the conference in DeVincensis. You have a veteran-laden roster that's very deep. Um, you have a team that has an incredibly good penalty-killing unit, which is really important in the playoffs. And they play physical, they play in your face, they forecheck hard. And I think that that's going to translate really well in, in the playoffs. And I think that when you look at a team like Ottawa, yes, they did bring in players to support um, their younger guys who are having great years. But at the end of the day, they don't have as much experience. And obviously Logan Morrison does, but they don't have as much as some of the other teams in the conference. And Barry obviously is, is dangerous, but I just look at DeVincensis as, uh, as the best goalie. For me, I have the Barry Colts coming out. I think they're a team that is really dangerous, like you mentioned. I think the fact that they've got Brant Clark really kind of pushing the pace and being the guy on the back end, they, they've got a really solid back end with guys like Bo Aiki, Braden Hash, Callum Christian. Like they've got a lot of guys on the back end. Then up front, Ethan Cardwell, like they go down the list. They've got guys to score. Bo Gelsma's have a really good season. I think it's going to be a lot of offense by committee, but I think that's going to be what it takes in the playoffs. And that's why I have the Barry Colts coming out of the East. Yeah, that first line is really good in Barry too. Uh, I saw them play in Mississauga recently. And that line uh, with Cardwell and uh, Veerling and Frasca just, just dominates in the offensive end. It's just relentless. I feel like every time they were on the ice, the puck just never left the offensive zone. Um, and that sort of consistent pressure is what's needed to win in the playoffs too, right? Having a line that can just constantly hem in the other team, really, really important. All right, now let's move on to the Western Conference. The first team we're going to talk about is a team that I'm quite familiar with in the Windsor Spitfires, taking on the Kitchener Rangers, who I think is probably going to be a little bit of a one-sided series. It's going to be interesting because Kitchener has talent, but again, like we talked about with Peterborough, hasn't seemed to be able to put it together this year. But this could be ripe for for an upset if if Kitchener can kind of figure it out. Yeah, I mean, if I were you, Tony, I'd be a little bit scared. I mean, I think Kitchener was probably the team that nobody wanted to play in that first round, right? They're kind of like the Western Conference's version of Peterborough. We've been saying all year, oh, they're going to turn it around. They're going to turn it around. They moved this move. They made this move, and they've shown spurts. They've shown flashes of, of being that team we all expected them to be. But at the end of the day. It just wasn't enough to climb up the Western Conference standings because the Western Conference is so solid. And so many of those teams around them, like Flint, like Guelph, also had really good second halves. And Kitchener did have a a good second half of the year. It just wasn't enough, right? At the end of the day, I do think Windsor takes this. But I think that they get a really good scare from the Rangers. I, I think this one could go six or seven. And if Kitchener wins... Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that Windsor's goaltending becomes a bit of an issue. I know Joey Costanzo has been good. I, I know that um, the carousel of net miners that they've had this year for various reasons have, have done a great job. Um, but Kitchener does have a pretty veteran-laden team. They have veteran net miner who won an OHL championship last year who was among many of the candidates of our three stars of the week segment. He can steal a series. 
And I think that makes Kitchener a very scary team to, to play in the first round. Um, but I do think it'll be Windsor in six or seven. Yeah, I'll agree with you and say Windsor in six. I think this is going to be a really tough series. I think it's going to be a series that, like like we mentioned, it could be Kitchener that surprises. Maybe they go up a game or they go up two to one throughout the series, and they have a lot of talent on that team that is able to kind of lead them there. I just pulled up the roster now to, to kind of make sure I don't miss anybody. Danny Jokin, Carson Raycock, Philip Mishar, Reed Villat. Like, they have guys up and down this lineup. Francesco Pinelli, Matthew Sopp. And that's just the forward. Their defensemen are pretty good as well. Hunter Brusevich. Uh, a guy like Leighton Moore, Roman Schmidt, they have a lot of guys that can make a difference in this series. And that's not to mention the goaltender, Marco Constantini. This is a really, really solid team on paper. There's no reason that they're the eighth seed. They go up against the Windsor Spitfires team that I think will handle their, their business and kind of get to the second round. But like you said, that goaltending, I love Joey Costanzo. I think he's had a really good season. I think he deserves a lot more love, especially in draft circles than he's been getting. But is, is that going to be able to hold up? It's And you go to the back, if if that falters, you go to back Anoska. I don't trust him. Like, that's not that's not something you want to go, have to go do. And at this point, it's far too late to try to fix, fix that goaltending situation. So it's certainly going to be interesting to see what Windsor's able to do. I do think they end up winning it in six. I think guys like Matt Maggio, Christopoulos are going to be able to step up and, and make a difference. It's going to be interesting, though, because I think this is going to be a series that's a lot more hard fought than a lot of people are going to uh, assume going in. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, Dionisio, is he suspended for the first few games of the opening round as well for that incident in London? I think he is. So that's a guy that has been so good since the trade coming over from Niagara. I think he's been so fantastic. He's able to move the puck. He's been excellent defensively. He's kind of moved his name up in draft circles as well. There's a lot of attention on people saying he should have been drafted last year. He'll definitely get drafted this year. It's going to be interesting because he's been a key component on that back end. What, what are they going to do with, with replacing him? That's a lot to ask because he plays pretty big minutes for that team too. It, losing a guy like that could be the, the difference between making this series end in four or five games or pushing it to six and seven. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Moving on to the number two seed, London Knights taking on the number seven seed Owen Sound Attack and Colby Barlow, who we mentioned earlier. This is going to be a really fun series because I think London's been – quietly dominant which is weird to say about london because normally they're one of the most dominant teams in the league yeah i i think this is probably the one in the west that i see ending the quickest and that's nothing against owen sound i think they're more of a team that's one year away i think they're going to be one of the better teams in the western conference next year if not maybe the best um but london has been quietly very good all year uh and i think that Having Brett Brochu and his experience in that too really, really helps. And I, I think it'll be London in five. Yeah, I have London in four. I think they're going to sweep in this series. Like I said, I don't like predicting sweeps. But just the fact that if Brett Brochu has a bad start to a game and they need to switch things up, they go to Zach Bowen, who's also been absolutely fantastic. It's almost the opposite of what Windsor has. Windsor's got a really good team. Their goaltending is kind of not the greatest and not the most trustworthy in the playoffs. London's got a really good team. But they've also got that goaltending to fall back on. And they've got two goaltenders deep that I trust in the playoffs, I think. So it's certainly going to be interesting. They've got a ton of guys in the back end. Oliver Bonk's going to play a huge role. Isaiah George as well. And then up front, they've got Ryan, hum- or Ryan Humphrey, Ryan Winterton, Brody Crane, uh, Max McHugh. There's so many guys. Sean McGurn, one of my favorites in the, on the team. 
They've got the two twins there in Cowan and in, in Barkey. This team is so good and it's so underrated. No one's talking about them because they don't have that guy that's up near the top of the scoring list. But this London team is going to be really scary in the Western Conference. Yeah, they're going to be a hard out, 100%. I mean, the only thing maybe would be kind of similar to Ottawa. Um, they're a roster that is constructed around talented youth, right? And especially when you look on the back end. I mean, Oliver Bonk um, is a draft-eligible kid who is one of their minute eaters, right? Isaiah George is still another year in the league. Um, Sam Dickinson plays a ton as a 16-slash-17-year-old. They rely on a lot of their young players, Denver Barkey, Easton Cowan, right? The the London Twins, as they call them, right? These are two guys who are heavily relied on as well. And sometimes that doesn't work out in the playoffs in terms of a long run. So what you're saying is maybe if they don't win the championship this year, expect them to absolutely dominate the league next year when all these guys are a year older and a little bit more mature. Yeah, I think pretty much. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting series. Like you said, London's probably going to take it, though. So let's move on to the next series. And I think this is a really fun one. Like you mentioned earlier, Sarnia has been one of the best teams in the league in the second half. Absolutely dominant with all the additions they made earlier this season. And that number three seed, Sarnia Sting, has taken on number six, Guelph. What do you take of this series? Because I think it's a lot more one-sided than some people are giving it credit for. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. Sarnia has been the best team in the second half, especially the last couple of months, right? Completely unstoppable force. But Guelph has quietly, like I said earlier, been very good um, since moving out some of their veteran players like Sasha Pashijov. And I mean, on paper, I, I think it's Sarnia, but I think you have to not underrate the way that Guelph has been, been able to play and, I do think it's going to be Sarnia. I think it'll be in like five or six, but I think they're all going to be really heavily contested games. I think even if Sarnia wins in four, Sarnia wins in five, I think we're looking at a couple OT games. I think we're looking at, you know, four, three, three, two, five, four. I think the goal differential and the tightness of these games um, is going to make Guelph fans happy. And I, I think it'll make, the ownership and, and management group they're happy as well because um, they kind of, I'm not going to say they threw in the towel on the season, but it was definitely a name to retool for, for greener pastures in the following years. And now they go up against one of the hottest teams in the OHL and it's going to be very tough for them. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be Sarnian five is my pick here. I think this is a series that at the end of the day, Guelph's had a nice little run here in the second half. But the talent from Voight to, to, to different guys on that passion job on that Sarnia team, it, it's going to be really hard for that Guelph team to just keep up, just on a raw talent basis. It's, it's, almost, it, it's almost unfair to Guelph to, to be asked to compete with a team like this after trading away so many of their, their top-end guys. I think it, it's going to be really interesting to see it, it, who's going to step up for Sarnia and be the guy to take over this series because I don't think it's going to last as long as some people do. I think it it's going to be fun. I think the games will be tight, but I think Sarnia is just going to be able to take that last step every game. I think while Guelph's going to push back every game, I wouldn't be shocked to see it go five games and every game and four, three with a couple going to overtime and Sarnia just being able to kind of show that they are one step ahead. 
Yeah, the, the one stat that I'm kind of looking at in regards to this series is special teams play. Sarnia has one of the best power plays in the league. Guelph has one of the worst PKs in the league. When you look at that, I mean, that's something that can really tip the scales in Sarnia's favor, right? Um, I think back to those old Scotty Bowman quotes talking about how the best teams in the playoffs are those that have the best special teams units. And um, when you look at that advantage with Sarnia over Guelph, I do think that's something that if, if Sarnia is able to score, you know, one or two power play goals a game, that's going to make it very hard for, for Guelph to beat them over the course of an entire seven game series. Yeah, it, it's going to be a fun series. I think it's going to be a competitive series. As weird as it is to say, saying, especially after I said it, it's going to be starting in five. I think it might be the tightest series in the first round. But with that said, let's move on to the last series, which I think is going to be, given, it, given that Sarnia Guelph series, a run for its money in terms of most competitive among the two teams. And this is a really fun all Michigan series of Flint Firebirds, the number five seed taking on number four seed Saginaw Spirit. This series is going to be just a ton of fun to watch from an emotional standpoint. Every time these two teams get get into the ring together, it's a boxing match. It's going to be really, really fun to kind of see what they're doing. Yeah, I'll be shocked if this series doesn't go seven. I, I really think this is going to be one of those ones. It's a, it's a coin flip. Uh, when you look at the season series, Saginaw won at 4-2. Um, but I do think it's going to be Flint, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. I, I think that... Flint has just that slightly older roster. I think that Flint has been slightly better um, in the second half. I think that Flint has a slightly more physical team. I think Saginaw obviously has a very interesting style of play. Um, we've talked at length about that over the run of this podcast of, about how Saginaw uh, really encourages the activation of their defenders, almost positionless hockey, um, really that next wave, right? Um but at the end of the day, how are they going to adjust to the physicality of, of and speed uh, of Flint, right? you got Amadeus Lombardi. You've got Colson Petrie. You have wave after wave of players hitting you. And um, I think the one thing that could tip it in Saginaw's favor is Tristan Lennox. And we, we talked about him earlier in the podcast of how he's had some really impressive performances this year. And he's somebody that I think can really steal the series for Saginaw, um, especially given how tight it is. How, how, how healthy is, is Michael Misa, right? I mean, that's another one too. Uh, kind of came back late in the year after a kind of bad injury. I don't know if he's firing on all cylinders right now. And it's a, a lot to ask of an exceptional status player to, to help lead this team to the next round. Um, Zane Parekh is one of another one of their most gifted offensive weapons from, from the back end, especially. And, and he's another guy that's super young. Um, Sapovalov, uh, again, he's got another year in the league. It, it's just a very young but talented roster. And I do think that Flint just is that little bit more of an edge. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, I think the stat that I'm going to kind of bring up right here to, to explain why I, I lean Flint in five is – if you take the top five scores on Flint's team, they all outscore every single player on, on Saginaw right now on the, for their roster. Pavel Minjikov, who played 37 games with the Saginaw Spirit, is still their fourth leading scorer. Um, 
and, and that's with Misa being out a little bit, having 56 points, Sapovalov having 56 points. He's certainly not an offensive dynamo. And Dean Lucas having 56 points himself. And then it's Pavel Minchikov. And then you start moving down to guys like Joey Willis and Zane Parikh, who are younger guys on this roster. You mentioned the, the youth on that, that Saginaw team. I think next year when they possibly host the Memorial Cup, maybe that's when they're more competitive. But right now, I do think this Flint team is absolutely loaded. Dimitri Kuzman's a fun, fun player to watch in the back end. We mentioned Colson Petrie, who's having a fantastic year uh, as a draft eligible. He would lead the entire Saginaw team in scoring right now if he, he was able to kind of bring his stats over. Guys like Riley Piercy, Gavin Hayes, Tristan Bartucci is even a guy that I think is really going to be really fun to watch in this playoff series. At the end of the day, I think this is just a team that has more than what the, the, the Saginaw Spirit have. But I think it's going to be a fun series. I think at the end of the day, we've been hoping for this Michigan series for a couple of years now, a few years since Flint's been back in the league. But I think it's going to be a short series, and we're going to see Flint take it in five. So who is your Western Conference pick then? That You asked me about the East. And so I want to know who is your Western Conference pick, and why is it the Windsor Spitfires? I hate to say it, <laughs> but it's not. Uh, okay, all right. It's the London Knights. Okay. And I right. hate saying that because I am a, a Windsorite. I'm home homegrown here. But this London Knights team just has the depth. And I think what I talked about earlier, where they have the goaltending to go with that team, that's going to be where it kind of makes the difference. I think you see Windsor and London kind of meet up in the final. And then a goalie takes over, and maybe Brett Roshu leads this London Knights team to the championship. Okay, so I'm going with Sarnia. Uh, I just am a firm believer of the way that this team is played post trade deadline. I, I honestly think that they are an unstoppable force right now. And I don't see a weakness on this roster. Ben Grudrow has been much better since returning from the world juniors. He's back playing at a high level and uh, they're my pick from the West. Uh, I look at them as having a, a really good special teams unit. I've talked about that at length got a great first line which has a ton of chemistry um they've got great uh, a great defense they move the puck well uh they play physical uh, i just look at this team and i think that they're gonna give london and windsor all they can handle and um i actually would say sarnia would be my pick as ohl champion right now too all right let's so you have sarnia as your ohl champion Mm-hmm. I will quickly add in that I think Barry is going to take that honor, but we'll be able to break down the rest of the playoffs as they go on over the next couple of weeks. Uh, let's wrap it up here. I think we covered a lot. We'll get to the team of the week again next week. We kind of cover the Philadelphia Flyers prospects then. But with that said, we appreciate you listening. Subscribe, rate, review on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you're listening to the podcast. We appreciate you listening, and we will see you next week for another episode of THN on the Out. Yeah, enjoy the first round, everybody.